Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 95 with Jessica Livingston of the Founder Podcast. Discover exactly what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur and what's possible through entrepreneurship from the greatest minds in business today. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Here's your host, Nathan Chan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. I am your host coming to you live from cold, windy, rainy Melbourne, Australia. Get me out of here. Not really enjoying uh, the Melbourne winter, so uh, that's why I'm actually going to the States, uh, which is really, really exciting. Looking forward to uh, enjoying the American summer. So that's what's happening in my world, just trying to wrap everything. I'm actually going for at least a month, so I'm just bulk recording all these podcast episodes. It's all about batching, hey? I just wanted to share with you guys a little lesson that uh, I've learnt recently along my journey, which you might find interesting, uh, and I won't try not to ramble too much, but one thing that I'm learning is as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you just can't win all the time. And uh, we've been having a lot of wins with the business. And at the moment, uh, you know what, to be honest with you, um, we're not having as many wins and I'm used to winning. And that's a problem. I think, you know, sometimes you can get so caught up drinking your own Kool-Aid and uh, you just think you can do anything. You think you're unbeatable. And the truth is you're not. And, uh, you know, I think um, it's just an interesting uh, journey, part of the journey that we all have to go through. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. So let's talk about today's guest. I'm really excited and honored that I got to speak to today's guest. And her name is Jessica Livingston, and she's one of the co-founders of Y Combinator. Now, for those of you that are not aware of Y Combinator, these guys run the largest and most reputable and biggest and coolest and baddest incubator, startup incubator in the world. And, you know, they've had some amazing companies come out of there, um, Airbnb, Dropbox, Twitch, so many. Um, and it's really cool because some of our actual guests have, have gone through Y Combinator which is really, really cool. And pretty much uh, these guys see so many pitches. They see so many uh, interesting business ideas. They're based out of uh, Silicon Valley. And what I talked to Jessica about, which is really, really interesting, is the things that make or break a startup. And we talk about you know her role within Y Combinator and playing counselor to a lot of co-founders and really getting an insight into what happens amongst co-founders and why a lot of these 
businesses and startups actually end up failing. And a big part of it is the relationship that the co-founders have. And we talk about, you know, picking winning startups and, you know, what what uh, Y Combinator look for when they're, you know, taking doing intakes and all sorts of things that you need to look for in terms of red flags in regards to like the relationships that you have with your business partners and your fellow co-founders. So this was a fascinating conversation. I know you guys are going to love it. Uh, we talk about so many different things and pretty much this is not to be missed. So I'm really, really pumped about today's episode. So that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on the show and then we interview is, how did you get your job? <laughs> how did I get my job? Well, the good news is that when you start your own company, you never look at it as like landing a job. You look at it as like, oh boy, how did that experiment work out? But I'll take you back to 2005 when my husband, Paul Graham, and I were just sort of talking about how broken the the funding world was for early stage startups. Uh, the world was extremely different 10 years ago. It was very hard to find early stage funding. You either had to sort of have a rich uncle or go straight to VCs who only wanted to invest millions of dollars. And that just doesn't make sense when you're first starting and you're just a couple people testing an idea. So we were talking a lot about, gosh, there needs to be a standardized branded form of early stage funding that can just work with work with the founders and help them sort of get into first gear of starting a startup because we think more people should be starting startups but instead they're you know taking jobs at Google or whatever so we said let's just try to do this ourselves and um, I said great I was writing founders at work at the time and had some extra time and Paul really wanted to do angel investing because he had a startup himself that he had been helped out by, by someone. Um, and he wanted to sort of give back to the community. So we said, great, let's start this investment company, but gosh, neither of us know how to do angel investing. We, how are we going to learn? So we said, let's fund a whole group of startups at once over the summer. And by, by investing in a bunch, we'll really get exposed to a lot of the things that come up and we'll, we'll learn. And then we'll go back to funding startups asynchronously like most people do. So we built a website and explained what we were doing. We we're running this three-month program called the Summer Founders Program in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We were targeting programmers who wanted to come learn about startups. We'd help them incorporate. We'd help them launch their product and work with, them, with the idea and maybe help them get more funding. Lo and behold, we got 200-something applications and we interviewed a bunch of groups and decided to fund eight startups that summer. In that summer batch, that first one in 2005 was Reddit. There was the founders of Justin TV, which turned into Twitch, which you know got acquired last year. And there was Sam Altman, who's now the president of Y Combinator. So it was a Pretty exciting, pretty exciting first batch, and we quickly learned that we were on to something very unique and very powerful, um, funding groups of startups at once. And what that really was, it was sort of we provided a, 
community in what usually is a sort of very lonely, lonely and isolating time when you're just two people, but it helped to have sort of other colleagues that understood what you were going through or could help you with various problems. And that's, that's kind of how we got started. It was just all an experiment. It was never, you know, we never intended it to be as big as it is now, although we, we knew we were doing something novel. Um, but that, that's, that's kind of how we got started. Yeah. Wow. And what do you think it was around that first batch? Because, you know, Reddit and, and also, you know, it was yeah, Justin TV or Kiko, I think, um, Either way, like these are these are massive success stories, uh, and then I think was it a later was it when when was the Dropbox when when did the guys from Dropbox what what round were they? That was summer two thousand seven, so uh, still very early on. That was two years into Y Combinator. Yeah. So what was it? Do you think from these the, those those latest batches like um, and and how did you find people? Okay, so there are two questions there. We found people um, mainly because Paul was kind of a well-known essayist on, you know, technical things and programming languages. So we had a, a bit of a following amongst programmers. Um, and that's, that was sort of our first audience. And then, you know, we started visiting some colleges and giving talks. We hosted startup school in the fall of 2005. Startup school is our annual big event that we do for, for founders. And we have a you know whole day full of really cool talks by successful startup founders. We did that really early on. And, and that was kind of our sole outreach. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll answer the second part of your question, which is what was it? There was just, I think, a, a huge pent-up demand for people who were interested in starting startups but weren't sure how to get started. It seems so simple uh, to think like, gosh, okay, you incorporate your company and you go get a bank account and then you work on this idea. But sort of that, that first step can sometimes be the most intimidating if you don't know how to do it. And again, back in 2005, there was not a lot of information online about how to get started as a startup. Now things have drastically changed. I think you can you know incorporate online very easily. But by helping people just get started and saying, hey, here's a place you can just apply to get funding. You don't have to know anyone. You don't have to be well-connected or go to an Ivy League school. Just apply. I think that spoke to a lot of people out there who uh, were talented people that wanted to to start their own startups but weren't sure what the first step might be. Mm. So, look, um, let's fast forward to now. And like, let's talk about the latest batch. Um, how many pitches have you had? Uh, you know, how many got, how many do you guys accept? How much, uh, you know, how, how much funding do you give? How much equity do you guys take? Uh, I think people will find that really interesting. Okay. So let me just tell you about some of the, the basic components um, of our program. I'll start with the latest batch. We're in the middle of our winter, uh, winter funding cycle right now. In fact, we're just a mere three weeks away from demo day. We give startups now $120,000 in return for 7% of their startup. And it's a, 
a standard deal. We use standard paperwork. Um, and, you know, that's different from a lot of other investors where each investment is kind of a negotiation. We just have the standard deal. We have funded, there are 127 startups in this current batch, which is our biggest batch ever. Again, just to give you perspective, back in 2005, we had eight startups and we've just grown organically over the years and now we're up to 127. How many applications did we get? I think we got about, I want to say 5,000 applications and then we interview, we have 10 minute long interviews over the course of a week. And I think we interviewed roughly 350 startups to get down to the 127. Yeah. Wow. And in regards to, I guess, picking the winners, uh, what, what are you guys, uh, can you give me some common things that you see when you're looking, you, you, you choose, do you guys choose the founders or the idea? What, what do you guys specifically look for? And, and can we, can we get some insight into, you know, what are some common things that you see from the, you know, the Airbnb founders or the Dropbox founders? Like, is there anything that is very unique that you can see now from doing this for like, you know, such a long time? Yeah, I'll tell you, picking the big winners is the hardest thing we do. It's, it's practically impossible to predict, to be quite open with you. That said, you know, having done this now for 11 years and interviewed over, you know, or had, you know, thousands of startup founders pitch, pitch us, there are some themes. When we first started Y Combinator, we thought, gosh, if someone's a really talented programmer, that will translate into them being a really good founder and lead this hugely successful company, and they'll build this sophisticated thing. That's not true, we found out. What we found out very early on was the most important quality in a founder is determination. It's not where you went to college or you know who your connections are or anything like that. It is like how, how, how much can you persevere through all the stuff and the bad problems you're going to have how are you going to push things forward? And that really separates separates people a lot. I mean, a lot of the, just to touch on the Airbnb founders, I mean, most normal people would have given up on their idea 20 different times. I mean, I have like 20 different stories of these times when they seem to be near death, but they knew they, knew they were onto something special because they themselves were hosts. They rented, they started the company um, because they couldn't pay their rent and they were renting out an airbed in their, you know, one of their spare bedrooms. And they, because they themselves were using their product, they knew there was something in there. They knew something special. Um, although, to be honest, when we interviewed them, neither them nor us ever might have predicted that it would be as big as it is today. Um, but this leads me to a second point about commonalities between successful founders. And that is when you're solving your own problem, it's much better than kind of making up an idea that you think the world needs and working on that. When you're solving your own problem, you have like sort of a deep expertise of the problem. You're a domain expert and you understand like all the nuances and what specifically is broken. How much better does it have to be than the current solution out there? Um, and so we are always looking for people who are domain experts. That really is important when you're, when you're starting a startup to sort of 
solve your own problem. What other traits are common? You really, you have to be almost fanatical about listening to your users. You can't just lock yourselves away in a room and build some wonderful program and expect that to just work. You really have to be iterating on the product and showing it to users, asking them, hey, if you're not using this, why? What needs to change? What do you like about this? What do you not like about that? And really make sure that every decision you're making is based on like what's best for the user experience. We found that is a really important quality. One last thing I'll, I'll mention is you just really want to be open-minded about things. It's very easy to get attached to your idea. And what we've noticed in funding so many startups is how many of them start out sort of one way and evolve in a different direction. It might be sort of have a kernel of the original idea, but it really winds up being a, a different thing. And if you get attached to one certain direction, you're probably going to fail. Whereas if you, you know, say, okay, this isn't working, but I know I'm close. Why don't I expand to reach this audience? You really have to be able to, to let sort of the users drive things a bit. So those are, those are sort of some themes in, in the successful founders we funded that, that come to mind for me. Okay. And can you tell us um, an interesting story or, or I, I think stories are really powerful and I think people will find this really interesting. Are there any stories that you could share from the early days uh, that maybe showcases the struggle from maybe a, you know, a, a, one of the startups that you guys have funded and, and, and taken under your wing that uh, people might find interesting or inspiring or maybe a favorite story of yours? Oh, gosh. There are so many stories and I'm, I'm a big fan of stories as like, that's how you learn uh, because they're real and you just can't believe some of these things have happened. I mean, I think, I think some of my favorite stories really revolve around the Airbnb company because it is such a big deal now. And what people don't, a lot of people don't realize is how humble their beginnings were and how often they were rejected and also how focused their idea was when they first got started. This is very, very important for aspiring entrepreneurs to keep in mind. You don't start building the grand idea. You start in an extremely focused and very narrow way, and you expand from there. And let me tell you the story around that. So I mentioned earlier that the Airbnb founders were, couldn't pay their rent, and they were like, oh, God, it's due, you know, next week, what are we going to do? They were, uh, two of them were designers, and there was a big design conference happening in San Francisco, and there were all these news articles about how all the hotels were sold out and people were in trouble. So they said, gosh, let's, like, rent out our air bed in our spare bedroom, and, you know, not only can we help some of our fellow designers attend the conference, but we'll make some money and we can pay our rent. And it was, they had three people stay with them that weekend. And it was such a great experience for everyone that they said, hmm, let's test out this idea. So remember, their idea getting started, honestly, it was on their website, was, you know, renting out air mattresses in your apartment or house during conferences. Like that is how focused it was when it just got started. I mean, that's nowhere where it is today. Um, but that's how big ideas get started. 
And because they get started so narrow and focused, many times they're just sort of dismissed as irrelevant by other people. Investors, you know, are not interested. The press certainly isn't interested. And even the Airbnbs, like family members, questioned what they were doing. They sort of thought that they were crazy. The investors, I remember specifically, really rejecting Airbnb early on. We were actually the only ones that would fund them. <laughs> um, lucky, luckily for us, um, yeah, wow. they had, you know, they were pitching angel investors early on and literally an angel investor got up and walked out of the, the cafe without even thanking them or saying goodbye. He just was so bored. He left the pitch. I mean, that's yeah, wow. pretty, that's a, was a pretty low point for them, you know? So the point is, like you can't reject it early on and you just have to keep moving forward. You have to keep trying. You have to hear no so many times before you hear the, the word yes. And the reason I think these stories are pretty powerful is because like that is how one of the most successful companies in Silicon Valley started. So you always, you always have to remember everyone starts small and they just build from there. Mm. And I'm curious you know, a lot of a lot of companies give up. How do you know when to give up and, and when to keep going? Knowing when to give up, it is a very tough question because, you know, reasonable people, for instance, would have probably agreed that the Airbnb guys should have given up um, early on. But I think, you know, we get we get that question a lot from our founders who are struggling. You know, they say, like, ah, should we just ditch this idea and try something new? No one ever knows hundred percent what the answer is. But if you can't get anyone interested in using your product, if you don't have something that's sort of a better alternative than what's out there already, like a much better alternative, it can't be just a little bit better. It's got to be a lot better. Then maybe if you can't do that and no one's, you know, using your product, it could be time to think of alternative ideas. But if if you you know if you're using your product and it's really solving a need for you if you have a small group of users who like love your product might not be time to give up yet and it's just a delicate balance that that no one no one has the perfect answer for mm. and you know right now i'm curious what are the biggest problems you guys are seeing that uh you know startup founders are facing especially in your you know latest batches I'll tell you one thing and, and hope that it will be interesting to people. We have over the past, say, five years, have felt like our founders who go through the batch have, have had a, a pretty pretty okay time raising a seed round. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the average fundraise after YC is like maybe a million to $2 million. And so, you know, all, always fundraising is hard. But for the most part, you know, companies that are seem promising are able are able to raise that amount without, you know, too much difficulty. So they raise that seed round and then they think, you know, a year into things, they need more money. And they think, oh, well, I did it before so easily. This should not be a problem. And they sort of let the money in the bank dwindle down and think that they'll be able to raise another round, you know, in the matter of a couple months. And they're getting burned by this. It is much harder to raise, you know, a Series A round these days, 
here in, in Silicon Valley. There's just a higher level of expectations on the part of the investors. They want to see real growth, you know, real traction, and they're not just betting on the founders and the idea. They want the data to back it up. So we have we happen to be seeing people like struggling to raise a Series A, whereas the earlier rounds had not been quite as hard. Mm, that's really interesting. And also in regards to, um, and I, I'm really, really excited to ask this question, uh, in regards to, I guess, playing counselor, um, that's something that you do quite often. You, you play counselor to squabbling co-founders and, and, and founder breakups. And can you tell us about that? Like, what is the common thing that happens here uh, in teams, like founding teams? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You know, over the past 11 years, I I have spent uh, a lot of time counseling founders. So I have a, a lot of insights. I'll try to share the most interesting ones. Founder breakups, you should know, are, are what we see is, is as the second biggest cause for startup failures. The first being you know, no one's using your product, like you're not making something people want. But after that, the reason we see early stage startups fail is that the founders don't get along, which is, you know, heartbreaking because a lot of times they're working on some fabulous idea that you want to see come into this world and it just dies. So how do I try to help? I mean, the first thing is just trying to get founders to communicate and be open and honest. I mean, it's like any kind of relationship. I mean, a lot of people sort of joke that a co-founder relationship is like a marriage, but in a way it's very similar. You, you are sort of locked in with this co-founder for a long time. You know, startups take five, seven, ten years, and in some cases it's your life's work. So you are with that co-founder, and you are in a very high-pressure situation there's a lot of stress, especially if you have employees who like lives are kind of, you know, depending their, you know, professional lives are depending on you. A lot of tough decisions to be made and there's no like one playbook for every every startup. So you're sort of sometimes blindly thinking like are we doing the right thing? And that can cause a lot of stress for founders and if they don't have a sort of trusting, strong relationship it just can break the relationships. And, uh, you know, these days, I think that sometimes founders get started together less organically than even 10 years ago. Like if you look at, like, just to use, you know, Larry and Sergey of Google as an example, they were friends in the, in the same PhD program at Stanford, and they began sort of naturally collaborating with each other. And, you know, that relationship grew organically. Sometimes you see people now saying, hey, oh, I want to start this company. I don't know how to program, so I'm going to try to find a technical person to be my co-founder. And they, you know, meet at some hackathon one weekend and have no real history together. And so it's not surprising that they might not get along. So it's, it can be very complicated, very tense because there's a lot at stake, especially when they're coming through YC and we've given them this funding. They have like the opportunity ahead of them and they're not getting along. It's, you know, really sort of they're squandering this opportunity. So it can be hard, but my advice always, always is to like, you got to just lay it all out there and have these open and honest conversations 
and then go from there. Cause if you're, if you're not talking openly, like nothing's going to get solved. Mm. And do you recommend people should, should test the relationship much before, like instead of just pairing up from a hackathon or like, do you have any recommendations there when choosing your co-founder? Yes. Yes. A million times. <laughs> yes. Um, like you, you, you have to be careful. You, you have to take your co-founder relationship seriously. You know, I get really excited when I'm reading applications for YC and the founders are like childhood friends or college roommates or have, you know, worked together for five years. Cause I think, you know, if they're childhood friends, these people know each other's shortcomings, right? And they're still choosing to work together. It's so important. I've seen, again, so many founders break up. And a lot of times it's just they've had no working together experience. And it just does not, they might have different work ethics. They might have different goals. Oh, that's another practical piece of advice I should share. As you're deciding to work together, there are two bits of practical advice you should not say, okay, we're going to start a startup together. Let's do this. Just start a project informally with, with your friend or whoever you're considering and just test the waters. You could probably tell in a month of working together, even on a like side project on weekends, you kind of get a flavor for your the way you work together. Try it out before you formalize things legally. And the second bit of advice I'd give is if you are going to you know, co-found a company together, have a conversation up front for like what your goal is you know, with this company. Do you just want to build something and flip it and try to make some you know, quick money, try to make you know, half a million dollars or a million dollars and sell it in a year? Or do you really want to solve a problem to make the world a better place? And when that, you know, $10 million acquisition comes through, you're going to turn that down because you want to work on this, you know, for 10 years. These are important things to think about with your co-founder because if you're not aligned, there's going to be a lot of tension if you do go on to build a successful company. Mm. And what about equity? Does that cause a lot of squabbling? Because I imagine it would. Like equity splits. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Equity splits can certainly cause a lot of, a lot of squabbling um, with co-founders. I mean, again, this goes back to like having really open and honest conversations up front before you do things legally. We always recommend to founders, you know, split things evenly just go 50-50 because even if one person, you know, sort of came up with the idea, we get a lot of people saying, well, I came up with the idea. I've been working on this startup for two months. She just joined or he just joined. They're going to get less. It's like, oh, my God, you guys. Like, you're talking a 10-year journey. You know, the past two months is going to just be, you know, a tiny little bit of the road ahead. It's got to be an equal partnership. Now, in some cases there is a founder who came up with the idea and maybe they've been working on it for a year. And so they bring on a co-founder who will get less equity and that's totally fine. That is completely reasonable. But again, you want to have an open conversation and say, you know, are you okay with this level of equity? Because I have seen over and over people going through YC who maybe have agreed to only get like 10% versus the other founder getting 90%. And then when, when things get hard and progress gets made and they're doing well, they think, 
well, I'm working just as hard as my co-founder. How come I only get this small amount? And it can cause an extreme amount of tension. So you, you don't want that situation bubbling up when your company's doing well. You want to have these open and honest, you know, real conversations early on where everyone feels good about their equity split. Mm. And uh, look, we have to work towards wrapping up, Jessica, but are there any other red flags that people should be looking for when they're, I guess, in the, in the, in the thick of things between co-founders? Again, I don't, I don't want to repeat myself, but just remember, like, startups are extremely hard, which is why, like, most people don't do them. Um, they're a long-term commitment if you do it right. Um, they're extremely stressful. And so if you are not partnered with someone whose, like, work you respect immensely, who you trust their values, they have the same work ethic, they have the same aspirations as you do for the company. If you're, like, not in agreement on those things, it's bad. The other red flag is you got to be clear about who's the CEO, what the other roles are. We've definitely seen, you know, groups who there's two founders and they've never talked about who the CEO is. They've kept it very informal. (laughs) And, you know, later stage investors like to know who the CEO is. And if you haven't, you know, agreed that, you know, one person's going to be the CEO, that can lead to a lot of conflict. So it's, it's a good idea to sort of carve out some responsibility and not have you know, all the founders do everything. Mm. A couple more questions because you, you, you mentioned something that I really have to ask you. You said that starting a startup is extremely hard. It's extremely stressful. What do you guys recommend to your batches and your startup founders that you guys are funding in regards to handling and managing stress? Because Silicon Valley um, and, you know, just in, even in startup world, it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, what Gary Vee talks about is just like hustle, 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 work extremely hard. Like, do you like 80 hours a week? Like, what, what is your take on that? That's a tough question to answer because it's going to be different for different people. Um, but if I had to sort of paint things with a broad brush, you have to go into it knowing that you're doing something extremely hard. You're probably doing something that's, you know, your exact idea has never been done. And you got to be ready for it. You can't go in half-heartedly or you will, you will give up, you know, immediately. So you have to just sort of be mentally prepared and make sure your life circumstances work for what you're doing. Like a lot of times, you know, founders can't pay themselves very much when they're first getting started and can't raise funding. So you, you have to, you know, be okay, not have a lot of, you know, financial obligations. We always think, you know, it's it's certainly probably ideal to start a startup when you don't have, you know, four kids to put through college and a mortgage to pay and all of that. When if you can live sort of cheaply, that's sort of one one good thing. It's just just sort of know what you're getting into. As as obvious as that sounds, um, like it is not glamorous, and I do worry that sometimes these days the press kind of makes startup lives seem glamorous. But it is a really hard road to get to the point where you're, you know, on the cover of Forbes magazine and then like, so you want to like know that's what you're getting into and be comfortable with it. There's this phenomenon that people talk about, and I've certainly witnessed myself where 
life is just a roller coaster with a startup. And one day you can wake up and think like, we're doing so well, we're going to take over the world. <laughs> and the next day you're failing miserably. And like not much has really changed in that 24 hour period, but like, that's the way it is. So if you're at least again, aware that you're going to have these emotional ups and downs and you have a sort of a support system of your co-founder of, you know, your spouse or significant other needs to be very supportive of your journey through, you know, being a startup founder, friends, family. If you can sort of surround yourself with people who can just help you balance out the ups and downs of being a startup founder, I think that helps. I think Working on a startup in a place where there are other startup founders around can be really helpful because sometimes you think you're like a Martian or something. And if you can interact with someone else who's like, yeah, I'm going through the same problems myself, you suddenly think, okay, I'm not, I'm not this complete weirdo. There's other people who are struggling just like me and they can lend support. I kind of think the, the, those are some of my general ways to to sort of manage the stress. Awesome, awesome. Well, look, uh, we'll work towards wrapping up, Jessica. I'm super mindful of your time. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, last question is where's the next best place people can find you? You know, so honestly, if you if you want to learn more about, you know, starting a startup or what we're doing, I just, I really would just go to our website, which is ycombinator.com. We have tons of like fabulous articles um, that or blog posts that we've written, collected. We have, you know, helpful information about what it's like to start a startup. We have, you know, even investment forms. We, we use a thing called the safe that we created, which is a, a really simple investment document. So there's like just a wealth of information on ycombinator.com. Um, and that's where I would, I would recommend going. And I'd also recommend applying to Y Combinator. Like any, anyone, we're happy to get, get applications from, from anyone. And I, I think that just the process of filling out the application is a useful one for anyone who's, who's starting a company. It just sort of helps crystallize the thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Look, uh, you guys, you guys, are. Known as the leading and and the number one accelerator in the world uh, incubator, so yeah, I I wish I had have applied to Y Combinator when I first started my company, but yep, thank you so much, Jessica. I really really <laughs> appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. It was it was fun talking to you. Thank you. The Founder Podcast has come to a close, but it's not time to sleep. It's time to hustle. Download the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine for free right now by visiting foundermag.com slash Branson. Again, that's an absolutely free download of the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine containing an exclusive interview with the man himself. It's only available at foundermag.com slash Branson. So download it now and we'll see you next time on the Founder Podcast.